Whoa, hey, hello there. Well, hi. This is even before the episode starts, I think, is how I'm going to cut this baby in. <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, so if you're listening to this episode, just know that this, uh, right now, as this episode is being posted, our lovely folk down at nerdsmith.com are in the middle of their super exciting subscription drive. Basically, Soap drive. Yeah, so basically, we're trying to get as much money and love as possible. Because love is equal to money in our capitalist society. If you need to think about it in a different way, as much love and money. So it works like a a sort of Patreon maximum fun style thing where, you know, you kick us some amount of money monthly and we'll give you back some cool extra stuff. So we have it tier styled. We have our cool ass sidekick $10 tier where basically, you know, you get access to all of our bonus content episodes that we have locked away on Nerdsmith. You have, uh, you get exclusive access to our Discord channel for, you know, subscribers. Uh, you get 50% off future what we call nerd alerts, which are basically just kind of like shout outs. Like if you, you know, write tooth and nail podcast at gmail.com and you're like, I want to propose because I want a really shitty way to propose to my spouse. <laughs> we can say it, you know, you know, who's not a beholder. Karen, will you marry me? <laughs> we, can, we can do our best to say some stupid shit that you'll love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get 50% off of those. You get an exclusive 2019 subdrive pin, which is pretty neat. We also have our $20 champion tier. You get all of that stuff. In addition, you also get one metal D6, ostensibly from Die Hard Dice, our sponsor, and a digital download of our Nerdsmith cookbook, which is basically like, uh, you know, all of us, I don't think we did it this year year because we came in yeah, a little bit we, late we couldn't do it this year we were a little bit late and we were a little bit busy with work yeah and other things but it is a compilation <laughs> of uh recipes brought in by all of the hosts and co-hosts in order to make a neat cookbook thingy nerd style so yeah. if you want your burger nerd style this is how you get it <laughs> don't go to in and out they'll look at you weird <laughs> hi can i have a nerd burger leave <laughs> so up next is the superstar tier so that's our 35 dollars tier you get all of the stuff you also get a cool nerdsmith mug and then also a physical copy of the cookbook in addition to the pdf yeah yeah uh and we understand like being broke ass nerds we understand if you're also broke ass nerds as well so we also have a teensy little five dollar minion tier where uh, you get the bonus content, you get access to the bonus content episodes, and then also access into the Discord channel as well. Yes, and it should be noted that this is these um, these exclusive uh, rewards and items are for new and upgrading donors. Absolutely, the, the higher tier rewards. Yes. yes, yes. So scoop you up some swag, treat yourself. You get you a mug, that way you can make you some hot cocoa in that mug. And that can be your tooth and nail mug. So, I don't want to take up much more of your lives or much more of this episode. Feel free to subscribe to Nerdsmith and enjoy whatever episode this may be! We appreciate you! Ladies, gentlemen, or what have you, I'm Orion Lavelle. I'm Travis Madigan. And you're listening to Tooth and Nail, a monstrous podcast where on this day of rapturous glory, I should really start thinking about what I'm going to say before I say it. On this day (laughs) of rapturous glory, we're going to be talking about the Bahir, a thing that's not quite a dragon, not quite a snake, 
not quite a centipede, not quite much of very much anything, though we'll find that it does have this one specific gimmick that I think redeems it a little bit. I don't find the Behir to be very notable, but as I was kind of analyzing it and crunching the numbers and thinking about stuff, I think I came away from the Behir liking it a little bit more than I did when I started looking at the Behir, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think just like face value, I like the Behir because I know that high school me, if he had known about the Behir, it would have been one of his favorite things. <laughs> because of the because of the swallow? Just because of what it looks like and like what it does and why it exists. Yeah. It's just kind of like, it's a very high school me thing yeah. to exist. It's a very, so. yeah, it's a real like Final Fantasy ass monster, which makes sense because yeah. most Final Fantasy monsters are D&D ass monsters. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of looks like a summon. Yeah. Yeah. Or like something oh. you'd find roaming the fields, you know. The secret monster in the forest. Yeah, there's like a 1 in 64 chance of it showing up and destroying your party, and then you gotta reload <laughs> to re like three or four hours. Yeah. What a monstrosity. Mm -hmm. So, and we were kind of hinting at this, but like the last few monsters, the Behir relies on a major kind of oh shit moment, similarly to the Basilisk and the Banshee, that really quickly, drastically impacts how effective the party is. It's not quite as drastic as the Banshee Whale, but it's also not as flawed as the Basilisk thing. So it's like this weird middle ground the Behir is, and we'll find that like, the Behir is this strange middle ground derivative monster in a lot of ways. But also, it's not as derivative as the Azer. So like, even then, it's not, it's kind of in this weird middle ground in all respects. Yeah, it's really neat that it's kind of a, uh... <laughs> It's like a, hey, surprise, monster, and it's kind of, oh, I don't know, probably the first really powerful, just plain monster. Because Abolith is kind of its own thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Abolith is like this, it's got like layer actions and shit. Yeah. But this is like our first big powerful monster. Yeah, it's kind of a random encounter monster. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, me too. And we'll find like... It, it, it's a very niche creature for a very niche kind of encounter. But we'll get into that in a second. Are you ready? Yes, I am very ready. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> kind of lamely step forward. What trip, fall. So, artistically, the Behir is portrayed as a capital H, huge category, serpentine-like creature with 12 stubby little clawed legs. The book describes it as a cross between a crocodile and a centipede. I definitely just see a big snake with a lot of dinosaur legs. Yeah, I know, I see on, like, the top side of the jaw where they were going with yeah. crocodile, but then they put a snake mouth on it, so, like... Yeah. and, like, the serpentine <laughs> body, it doesn't really... Yeah flesh out into a crocodile so much. The Behir has what appear to be two sets of horns. It has these little ridgy thorn-like horns on top of its eyes. And then these weird, like, I, I can't, I read them as horns. I don't know if they're supposed to be horns. They're either like ram-esque horns that curve out from the crown of its head or like big floppy ears. I am almost positive they are kind of curled horns. I'm re I read mm. them as bastardizations of dragon horns. Yeah, and I think that's kind yeah, of. Yeah, I think that's fair. Be. Like a strange, like 
if a dragon would have a long sticking out horn, the Bahir, which is a, a false dragon to an extent, would have a twisted version of a dragon horn. A weird, like, small, stumpy, yeah, twisted yeah, horn. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It also, so the top half of its jaw has a sort of alligatorishness. The bottom half is very much like a snake. It has lower the, the lower fangs of a snake and like a gullet thing as well on the bottom of its jaw. And then uh, it also has these small dinosaur-like ridges along its spine. And um, I can't, again, this is another thing I'm having trouble reading the Bahir, but it seems like, and this is probably just the lighting, but it seems like it has a tiny little pig snout. <laughs> I see what, I I'm see sure what it's just at. the lighting, but I if I ever use a Bahir, it's definitely going to have a little snoot. I, oh, yeah. I want... Please snoot my Bahir, <laughs> you have senpai. To, you have to boop its snoot in order to defeat sure. it. <laughs> Instead of the 30 points of damage you have to do inside it, you just got to flick that snoot. Yeah. <laughs> so the monster's hide, its coloration is particular. It has this strange, swirling blue kind of thing that ranges from deep blue to a more aqua marine kind of color with a pale blue underbelly. And it's very wet looking. I'm not sure if again, that's the lighting or the coloration, but it seems like it's kind of slimy or at least slimier than I thought it would look. Yeah, it for sure, there is definitely, um, you can kind of tell by a lot of where the highlight lines are that it is wet for yeah. sure. And yeah. I tried to figure out Cause like if you we're, we'll have to go into the lore a little bit, I guess, about this to mm. fully make sense what I'm saying. But it was made by the storm. It was made by storm giants. Yes, and who utilize the storm and in such as a creature, it almost looks like an elemental. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, yeah. It's incredibly wet. Its body looks almost fluid, and it looks like it's almost glowing with. This electric Yeah, city. yeah. I imagine the kind the light kind of waving through its body, yeah. you know, kind of underneath the skin, electro style. Yeah. I uh it does. It looks kind of like a draconified personification of a storm. It's got like uh with what with all the wet and then also it seems to have this lightning breath playing around its mouth as well. So for all appearances, it looks like a kind of dragon, but as we just briefly mentioned, that is not totally the case, and due to the bizarre circumstances of the Bahir's creation, it ends up being categorized as a monstrosity, that old catch-all pile. Yeah, it is kind of, if I had looked at this thing, I would have been like, wow, that's not a dragon? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think it is all the blue that makes me think of a Final Fantasy monster. Yeah, for it's got, it's got... It's the it has fantastical coloring. It's, yeah, it's not like a natural color, and that is very yeah. Final Fantasy. Really pretty. Yeah, I just noticed that it has like weird lines on its back. They almost look like stitches. The uh, they're like I think that might be the shading for the ridges. I'm not totally sure. E yeah, I guess so. I didn't even read them as being ridges until you said that. So I guess so. Yeah. I, I guess it's the layout of the page. I, if the Bahir was, I think if the Bahir took up like a third of the page rather than a quarter of the page, I wouldn't have such trouble parsing out some of these smaller yeah. details. But, uh, oh well. So in terms of the lore, the Bahir is known for its lightning breath, uh, as well as its ability to move quickly along floors and walls, and most notably, its fondness for swallowing its prey whole. And we'll see that all of these things are true in the creature stat block mechanically as well. 
Bahirs are known for using their climbing ability to make nests in hard-to-reach places like deep pits and caves high up on cliff walls, and using their increased speed and mobility to make quick ambushes from their high-up nests. Moreover, and this is a detail that I think is really cool, the Bahir is able to fold its legs beside its body, so it has a dozen of these little stubby legs. The Bahir can fold them up, and then it allows that being able to fold them up allows the Bahir to move faster by slithering like a snake does, which <laughs> I think is really cool. It reminds me of like, uh, I don't know, I think there's like a, it, it reminds me of something like a Guillermo, a Guillermo del Toro monster would do, this kind of adaptable form kind of thing. I, I really dig it. Yeah. So when they do swallow their prey hole, supposedly they scurry off to uh, one of their hiding places where they lie dormant in order to digest in peace. And um, I think this little lore detail is the kind of crux of the Bahir's strategy. And I think that the Bahir is supposed to be played in what we have come to call the ghoul tactic <laughs> yep. kind of way, where the idea is the Bahir pretty much just bodily takes a party member and drags it away somewhere else, and it becomes kind of a, a chase sort of scenario. Originally, when I looked at this, I was a little bit of my, you know, patented Orion concerned that doing that particular tactic in this particular fight might be the kind of unfun sort of disaster as opposed to the calamitous fun kind of disaster. But I I think you can make it work without too much trouble on second blush. Yeah, you know? I mean, <laughs> it's bad, yes. But, like, this is, out of all the things that could happen... Like, being dropped to zero hit points immediately. I think being swallowed is the most interesting. Yeah, the flavor around it is definitely cool. I am just a little bit concerned, but we'll get into that mechanically in a second. I just have some uh, mild mechanical concerns that I think can be adjusted fairly simply or, like, supplemented in ways that make the concerns not as big a deal. Yeah. So, in terms of the backstory, Bahirs were originally created by storm giants aeons ago. In Back then, the giants were in the middle of this big war with the dragons, and they made Bahirs as a sort of fight-fire-with-fire kind of strategy. Consequently, Bahirs, which they were made to be smart enough to reason and to speak, they have retained this traditional hatred for the dragons that persists to this day. You know, when uh, we started the show... I thought that I would get really tired about hearing of the, like, the unfulfilled regrets of the undead kind of trope. Yeah. I thought that would be the thing that I would get tired of first. I realize now I'm actually way more bored about hearing uh, the, like, we've hated this creature for millennia due to an ancient <laughs> war kind of trope. Yeah. So, like, and let me just lay it out. We've seen it now with Mind Flayers, Aboliths, Angels, Azer, and now Bahir. Mm. And I get that, like, what D&D is trying to do is establish a rivalry with another kind of creature because they want to provide an opening for storytelling, right? Yeah, and, and they actions. also want to, you know, yeah, make sure everything fits together within the world and give you a hook if you need an adventure hook. I just, you know, I kind of got bored of the ancient war rival back in the days of orcs and elves or elves and dwarves or elves and other elves. Damn, those elves, they ruined Elfland. I, there is something really funny to me about this lore, though. Uh, storm giants were like... Ah, oh, these creatures that fly in the sky. Oh, God, I can't kill them with these, my control over lightning and the sky. I guess I'll make this dragon that can't fly to fight yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of strange choices 
uh, went into making the Behir. And when we get into the mechanics, I'll point out a lot of the weird kind of discrepancies between how giants are and how these Behir are. Yeah, I was curious. I was like, mechanically, could a storm giant fight a dragon? Like, what's the power differential between the two? If it's an ancient, like an ancient red dragon, it's significant. <laughs> it's a significant, yeah. Yeah. like, challenge. Yeah. But I feel like... They vastly underestimated how much they control lightning. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> weird choice. I don't really see. I my best read of it is like they're supposed to be spies, like covert <laughs> operatives. The Behir are because they're built to be. And again, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But they are built to be kind of stealthy, and they also speak draconic. So I'm imagining like you know, mobile sentient bugs. Like spy bugs, like how you bug around right, bugs. Right, right. And Although they're supposed they to be have, intelligence gatherers. Yeah, you'd have to very strictly cut off a paragraph in the monster manual for that to be the case. But yeah. They never make their lair in an area known to be inhabited by a dragon. And if a dragon a- attempts to establish within a few dozen miles, the Behir is compelled to kill it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, maybe, and this all kind of breaks yeah. down because we only get so many details about the Behir. But like... If I were to have a guess, because there are a lot of weird discrepancies, my best guess is that the Behir that we have nowadays and the Behir that happened aeons ago during the Dragon Giant War were two different kinds of Behir, and the, like, aeons of not being domesticated anymore have resulted in, like, a weird evolution strain of Behir that isn't the same kind that we used to have, is my best guess. Yeah, whereas, like, I think a, a trained Behir would be... I think a trained Behir would be more like an intelligence gathering kind of creature, like a stealthier kind of thing. Whereas the more fierce, uh, wild, wild Behir is more of a, let me just go try and murder this dragon because I hate it kind of creature. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. There's another thing that I think is like super funny that actually might, that might make sense, actually, what you just said. Um, and it has to do with alignment in 5th edition because storm giants are good here are neutral evil yeah yeah i noticed that as well and i was like what the hell and the fact that they and we're kind of blurring the lines now between stat block analysis and lore analysis but uh i noticed that as well and the fact that they only know draconic and not giant which is an actual language i was also curious about that's kind of what's informing my brain theory about this kind of behir being a sort of descendant of a progenitor Behir that was more domesticated and more in line with the goals of the giants, you know? Yeah, they've evolved to their natural instincts, their natural draconic instincts. Yeah, and I think there might be a cool story around these guys about how, like, you know, a living weapon taking on <laughs> its own, like, you know, becoming a monster because it was built to be a monster kind of thing. Overthrowing the storm giants. Yeah, but then that's just the fucking gith Uh, and the mind flayers again, right? (laughs) So, like, it's difficult. It would be a weird kind of thing to balance, but I think there might be some pathos there in the, like, you know, a thing that was built to kill now becoming a a thing of evil, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, as you said, as a result of this inbred rivalry... That doesn't sound like the right word. As a result of this uh, operationally conditioned rivalry, (laughs) Behirs will never nest near a dragon. The wild Behirs that we have now will never nest near a dragon. And if a Behir becomes aware of a dragon living nearby, it will attack the dragon, running away to a new lair if the dragon proves too powerful to fight. 
So again, I kind of like this as another sort of like a bait and switch adventure hook where like the players are tasked to kill the dragon that's hiding up in the mountains. They go into the mountains, they find what they think is a dragon and is not. And then the Bahir, which can totally speak, shouts out in Draconic, wait, not me, the other one, <laughs> you know? And then it's like, oh fuck, too many dragons. <laughs> you go to the dragon slayer and the dragon has been killed by a Bahir. Yeah, or something like that. I think, yeah, I think something like that would be cool and fun to play around with. Oh man, you, you get there, the Bahir and the dragon are fighting, the Bahir kills the dragon, and then the Bahir's like, where's my bounty money? Damn it, now, now you gotta cut the Bahir in. <laughs> that would be kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, Bahir party member. There would be a, a language barrier problem, but... This is fifth edition. Fucking almost every character knows seven languages at this point. Like <laughs> Also true. Also true. So, in terms of the mechanical aspect of the Behir, as I said before, it's a category-sized huge monstrosity with a challenge rating of 11, it has an average AC of 17, and a below-average HP of 168. It has that weird neutral-evil alignment. Again, Storm Giants were chaotic good. Yeah. I don't know, do without what you will. Importantly, the Behir has a pretty fast walking speed of 50 feet, and a climb speed of 40. And this is our first climb speed creature. So to clarify, climbing, when you do it uh, without a climbing speed, it typically takes an extra foot of movement speed. So you take two feet of climb climbing for every foot of movement. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, I always consider just saying like, climbing takes double your movement. Yes, yes, that's what I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to get at. Unless you have a climb speed, in which case you just use the climb speed. This means that with this crazy mobility, the Behir can zip around most characters, most characters typically having 30 movement speed. I think that this fast movement speed that the Behir gets is supposed to facilitate and encourage the whole I swallow one of your party members and then run the fuck away strategy. Yeah. Uh, but again, depending on how that's executed, it might be not fun for the party. In terms of its attributes, the stats are pretty solid across the board. It has a high strength, 23, has a pretty solid dex and constitution. The intelligence is low, but still cognizant. This is a creature capable of reasoning. It has an intelligence of 7, and it has an above-average wisdom and an above-average charisma as well. It also gets a plus 6 to perception and a plus 7 to sneak, thus making it a good ambusher kind of creature, which falls in line with the lore that we get about it it being fond of ambushing its prey. Yeah, and it would really, it would have to, uh, if its prey is dragons, it would have to sneak and ambush them in their lair, because if it's flying around, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That also makes sense. It's immune to lightning. Yep, made by storm giants, shoots lightning out of its mouth. That make a sense. It also has a pretty long range dark vision of 90, which is again, good for ambushing, and a pretty good passive perception of 16. Again, again, good for the ambushing. So they can speak. This is one of the first creatures that can speak that wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't think could speak. They speak draconic, but not giant. Again, I think yeah. this might be like a, a descendant kind of thing. I think, you know, the ambiguity around this kind of, I would be interested in getting a little bit more details about the Bahir. 
in another, you know, Monster Manual supplement down the way. Like what the original Bahir, like the progenitor Bahir was like. Yeah, I was, I was of two minds. I didn't have a whole lot of time to take notes. Uh, apparently this is a first edition original oh. monster. Yeah, so I have no idea what the lore behind it would has looked like over the history. Um, I did a little bit of digging in, but not enough to remember what I read. Either, you know, maybe the stuff I read wasn't very interesting. I remember a lot of, like, Norse-ass sounding <laughs> names. Uh... So, who knows? I, I don't remember reading any particular details that help clear up this ambiguity, though. The Behirs, in terms of their tactics, uh, what we get through their actions, they play pretty straightforwardly, uh, and most of their attacks feed into each other. The one outlier attack that they get is a Lightning Breath attack, which is on a 5-6 recharge. Like a dragon, the Behir shoots out a line of lightning, that is a pretty short 20 feet long and 5 feet wide. And as we often get for these line-type attacks, each creature that, you know, are, are standing in that line makes a below-average DC 16 deck save or take a pretty solid 66 lightning damage or half as much on a successful save. Yeah. And again, it's it may be worth noting that 66 damage is below the supposed average damage budget for a creature of that challenge rating, but it is still quite a bit to dump on a single character at one time. Oh, yeah. And we'll find, you know, in a couple of months, we'll find that a lot of dragons get this sort of shock and awe attack where they do a shit ton of damage in a quick burst every now and again. Like we've said before, I, I personally think recharge actions work better if you signal that the monster has recharged their attack. Oh, yeah. So you can get your party to remobilize accordingly. Um, I, I do think that similarly to how I like Banshee Whales... I kind of like these sorts of heavy Nova damage attacks overall. Since most teams are able to keep some sort of healing handy, they, since, you know, since most teams can heal themselves pretty quickly, these big high damage burst attacks aren't as deadly as they look like. And I think, you know, D&D combat is for the most part very reactionary anyway. The monster does a thing and then you as the team are trying to plan around that. So I like it when monsters lean into that feeling of like, oh shit, the thing did a big attack and now we got to pick up the pieces kind of emotion. Yeah, it's, it's kind of really funny whenever like, say a Bahir does like 66 damage to the party, like to one member of the party and everyone's like, whoa, holy shit. But then the party proceed to do like 200 damage in a turn. Yeah. And, yeah. and they don't even like blink about it. Yeah. It's, well, it's like yeah. the information you yeah. get, right? So every character knows <laughs> that they only have, in this case, you know, 50 to 70 HP, whereas we have no idea how much a hair is packing. So once we get past the lightning breath, we start to see the true gimmick of the Bahir. So for starters, they get a two-part multi-attack. They have a bite attack and they have a constrict attack. And the bite is just a melee attack with a pretty high chance to hit. It's a plus 10. The way that the Bahir handles damage per round is kind of funky, so I imagine Wizards of the Coast gave the Bahir a pretty high accuracy attack to help ensure that the Bahir is doing at least some damage per round. To that end, it does a pretty solid 22 points of piercing damage, but we'll see in a bit that the the amount of damage that a Bahir is capable of doing is a per round a little bit above average. So... There are, in 5th edition, a series of monsters, most notably the Vampire, 
that revolve around getting a grapple on a creature and then just fucking ruining that creature's day once they are grappled. <laughs> That's incredibly accurate. So, players beware. A monster will probably never grapple you unless it's about to end your fucking whole career. Yeah, it's like, expect one of four things. You're going to get bitten and transformed in some way. You're going to be crushed for a fuck ton of damage. You're going to be eaten or you will be one of your limbs will be ripped off. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, a DM, most DMs will probably not bother grappling you unless they're going to fuck you down. Okay, so the bear has a constrict attack where it tries to wrap around, wrap its body around you like a snake. Yep. If the attack lands properly, it does another big portion of the Behir's damage budget. It does another 17 slashing damage and 17 bludgeoning damage at the same time. And it also grapples the target with a tiny bit below average DC's 16 deck save. Since the fiction is that the Behir is wrapping around the creature, the Behir can only constrict one creature at a time. And the grappled creature is additionally restrained. So typically grapple just reduces your movement speed to zero, I think is pretty much all that happens. Yeah. If you're, yeah. in this case, restrained as well as grappled, attack rolls against the creature have advantage. So the Behir has advantage against the creature it's grappling, and the creature that is being grappled has disadvantage on attack rolls against the Behir. You know, you can't move quite so easily. Furthermore, the, the creature that's being grappled has disadvantage on deck saves. So this is another scenario where, like the Onkeg, if you want to do a point-blank blast on someone's face, uh, now would be the time. <laughs> would the Behir target itself in that instance? Probably. Well, it's immune to lightning anyway, so it doesn't matter. I was just, you know, for personal thought, <laughs> for private Orion time, I wanted to think that through. Uh, so once the grappling is complete, the bad day process begins. The Behir can take the swallow action after that, and... Some of you are ahead of me, where <laughs> the Behir can take a bite attack on a medium or smaller target that the Behir is currently grappling. If the attack hits, which it probably will, the target is swallowed, ending the grapple in a way. When the creature is swallowed, it's blinded and restrained. It has total cover from attacks and effects coming from outside the Behir, and it takes the last portion of the Behir's damage budget, which is an extra 21 acid damage, at the start of each of the Behir's turns as the creature is being digested alive. Yay! Woohoo! This means that the Behir can do, in total, about 77 damage per round, which is a little bit above average, although the damage is spread out a little bit. Um, I'm kind of horrified of the idea of a creature doing something like 56 damage to a creature through the Constrict, then the Bite, then you swallow it, and you kick on more damage while at the same time completely removing the character from the rest of their support. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, and this, again, it comes down to how you as the DM are deciding to ruin your party's day. I can imagine, you know, if a paladin gets swallowed, they can handle that. If a barbarian gets swallowed, they can handle that. If a fighter gets swallowed, they're probably fine. If you're the kind of DM that's like, a Bahir is smart enough to go for the casters first. This could be a real big trouble. See, I was going to say the caster would have the easiest time getting out as long as they're okay with fireballing themselves. <laughs> Why is that your strategy every single episode? <laughs> it's my strategy in life, okay? You're, you're like a geodude. You self-destruct. 
<laughs> as a joke. No, literally, like, casters have, aside from paladins, casters have the most likelihood of doing 30 damage in a turn. It's just the surviving the 21 asset that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe they could Dimension Door if they wanted, or do some sort of crazy shit. In terms of getting out, uh, they would have the easiest time, I think, because their methods of doing damage are not given disadvantage. Mm -hmm. But a yeah. fighter, anybody doing attacks, has disadvantage on their attacks because they're restrained. But a spellcaster can just kind of, uh, chromatic orb and get out. Yeah, I suppose that kind of helps it out. Of course, you know, depending on the caster, you might be dead by this point anyway. Like, I, I forget how much HP the average wizard has at level 11, but I can't imagine it's more than 60. I was going to say, if you consider them gaining six per level, like max with no constitution modifier, uh, they would have 66. Yeah. All right, so they might be fun. Well, that's like uh, generous, though. Oh, well, in that case, <laughs> yeah, most wizards probably won't survive this. But again, that's DM selected difficulty, right? You can just have the Behir only target the frontline fighters and you'll be fine. Yeah. Here's the thing that makes it a little bit more interesting for the person being swallowed. If the Behir, and we've mentioned this before, but if the Behir takes 30 damage or more in a single turn from the swallowed creature, which is a little bit around average damage for the creature, for a character at 11th level, the Behir must make a DC 14 constitution save or regurgitate the creature who is thrown up 10 feet from the creature landing prone on, prone on the floor. So the Behir, it has a plus four to con saves. So we're sitting in a situation here where the character was already taken at least approximately 56 damage from the bite and the constrict has maybe generously, depending on the class, maybe three or four chances to do average damage in a state of disadvantage and even then, the Bahir, maybe, like a 50-50 shot, will maybe throw up the character. I think, for me, it seems a little bit too harsh as it is. Yeah. I think the fact that the Bahir has a really high chance to swallow and keep down the character, mixed with the heavy damage that you get per turn, it seems a little bit too rough. The, the Bahir swallowing somebody is almost like the panic button. <laughs> it's like, kill it now, now... <laughs> yeah, I I think if I had my way, I would maybe throw in a little addendum where it's like, if you do 30 damage on the inside of the Behir or like 90 damage on the outside of the Behir. In a... Yeah, I was going to say, I always thought, I, know, I very recently have looked at a bunch of monsters and found this is not the case, but I always thought it was just if they take a certain amount of damage, they have to make one. I didn't know it was only from the inside. Yeah, that surprised me as well, because I think, you know, once upon a time, I had a character that was swallowed by a purple worm, which is like the, you know, the end game version of the Behir. Yeah. And uh, as I recall, somebody broke me out from the outside. So this might be another one of those DM decisions where if you want, you can have the party help from the outside or, you know, do do whatever you want. It's your game, baby. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> punch the Behir in the stomach really hard. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, rules is written. I think it's a little bit harsh. Granted, well-made parties probably have a resurrection spell of some kind at this point, but the party isn't necessarily guaranteed to have one, and if you get downed while being digested, there, depending on the kind of DM you are, there may not be enough of the body left to resurrect. <laughs> yeah... Well-made parties would have the resurrection, but also well-made parties at level 11 
will be able to dish out 168 hit points of damage very quickly. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. The The AC isn't super high, so I think you're right. I think there is a pretty decent chance of, in a, just a straight fight, the party being able to kill the Bahir before the character is swallowed or is digested, killed. Yeah. Uh, I At the same time, you know, me as Orion, I am often hesitant to give a pass to situations that just confer disadvantage down on right, a character yeah. forever because you 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 have a personal vendetta against dice so it's it's also yes yeah i roll badly <laughs> traditionally so i tend to hate things that just give me disadvantage forever uh it's not as bad as the basilisk because the swallow disadvantage it only affects one character at a time and the disadvantage is uncertain to last the whole fight and the disadvantage is couched in this really tense narrative of I'm actually being digested. <laughs> so I think, you know, just the the narrative around the mechanics help kind of uh, make the situation more tense than frustrating. And again, the Bahir only has an average AC, so it's not as bad as the Basilisk, which could tank like a motherfucker. Um, I think if I could revise the monster, I would, you know, do a, a slew of things, one of them being have the party be able to break the the damage threshold to get the Bahir to throw up the Swallowed character. Also, I would maybe just turn down the damage threshold to give the character more chances to escape internally. Um, you know, as it is, I can see a character, like, if it's a fighter, maybe spending three rounds in the Bahir stomach, yeah. and I would like maybe two rounds tops. I feel like that would be fair with the the amount of damage that they take per turn in the Bahir stomach. Alternatively, I would maybe just turn down the stomach acid damage, and I think, Jesus fuck, was that a whale? A sky whale? <laughs> there, there's, there's a whale with huge balls outside. Jeez. <laughs> I think of the options that I've listed, I think that turning down the stomach acid damage might be the most fun, because I think that prolongs the ghoul tactic thing. So... Let me just real quick lay out my reasoning for what I believe is the ideal Bahir fight uh, and what I just said might make a little bit more sense. So in combining all the lore and the mechanics that we get about the Bahir, I think mm -hmm. what's supposed to go down is the Bahir sneaks up on the party using its bonuses to the sneaking and the seeing that it gets, and it launches a real quick ambush, right? It dumps lightning breath on at least one character in order to scramble the party into healing, and then it focuses on swallowing at least one other character, depending on the kind of DM you are. That could be a frontline fighter or a caster. Once someone gets swallowed, that character becomes the football and the Bahir becomes the running back. So <laughs> once someone gets swallowed, the Bahir takes off using its crazy-ass movement speed to try and run off with the character who is, you know, slamming the insides of the Bahir. That was the first sentence I could come up with. I'm not going to take it back. <laughs> Just slam the fuck out of the Bahir's insides. In the meantime, the, the this encounter turns into a chase, right? So I'm imagining, like, the wizards cast and fly, the fighters busting out their action surge, the rogues being a smug asshole because he can already run crazy fast. That's why I think that limiting the the stomach acid damage could be more fun because it just is, it's prolonging the chase without just flat out killing the swallowed character. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So at this point, it becomes an encounter where instead of the point being to kill the Bahir in a straight-on fight, the point is to chase down the Bahir, trying to get your buddy back, and then the encounter ends with either, you know, the 
the character is freed, the Bahir is dead, or the Bahir could just escape. And as long as you have your friend back, it's for the most part fine, and you can make killing the Bahir a personal vendetta later on. I think turning this encounter into a chase gives you as the DM a lot more modular control over the difficulty in the same way with the Abolith, in that, you know, the the route that the Bahir takes and the obstacles in the way determines the difficulty of the encounter. So, you know, a Bahir climbing up the side of a mountain is going to be a lot harder than a Bahir running down a tunnel. Yeah. And the way that the Bahir stats are, it allows both as needed, what with the climbing speed. Yeah. And I... Th- I think, you know, in a ideal encounter, the Bahir is trying to outmaneuver the party by running up a mountainside or some sort of sheer cliff face in order to prompt the wizard or, you know, whatever casters you have to use their crazy-ass utility spells to help circumvent the environmental navigation. Something that uh, I want to bring up, because we, 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 talk, we talk a lot about, like, uh, a fun encounter yeah um like what to do to make an encounter either a little easier or a little harder to make it a lot of fun uh and we make a lot of assumptions about characters when we do that uh the party and i was just thinking about it um and yes level 11 party if if there's a wizard (laughs) the behir fight has just become increasingly trivial um, yeah. because at 11th level a wizard has disintegrate yes I, I, I think I see where you're going with this <laughs> it's the coolest picture in my head having now played with you uh, as a character who is so reliant on being that guy that just goes in and does all the damage he can as fast as he can <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's this like vivid, vivid image in my head of the wi- the wizard just getting eaten on like the second round of combat, and everyone's like, "Oh fuck! Oh no, he swallowed!" And then, <laughs> just almost immediately, the Bahir goes, oh, and then turns to ashes, because <laughs> the wizard inside of it was like, "Well, fail your deck save, disintegrate." I yeah, I think that would be a fun way to do it. If nothing else, like. Isn't disintegrate supposed to, no matter what happens, take out 10 feet of whatever it disintegrates anyway? Yeah, that's... Uh, creatures? Creatures just get fully turned to ash. If it's a, if it's a creation of force or an object, 10 foot of it gets disintegrated. Oh, uh, okay. I was imagining like a... Uh, well, like a Men in Black kind of scenario where <laughs> it just kind of explodes from the out inside Ugh. or also like a Tauntaun where you just kind of make a little... a new stomach mouth for you to climb out of. So, yeah, and I I think that that is the crux of what being a caster is, right? It's the the chance that you could be one-shot instantaneously while at the same time having a slew of tools in order to get you out of being murdered. Yeah, it's just funny to think about, like, I always try to be like, all right, cool, what's the best possible scenario? Like, what's the fun, like, oh, let's do a chase. And then I know as soon as I try to do a chase... It's going to be like, well, the paladin blows a third level spell slot for smite and the wizard casts disintegrate and the behir's dead. <laughs> yeah, there there is something to be said for uh well, there this this is a couple of things. There's something to be said for giving depending on how capable your party is, throwing harder level challenge rating monsters at them. Oh yeah. So, if this is a party that is well made of experienced players, 
this could probably be fine. It should just throw at a party of level seven characters, right? Yeah. At the same time, you know, there's something to be said for eliminating the first order strategy of your party, right? So if you know that the paladin is immediately just going to nuke the Behir with their smite, try to, you know, incorporate terrain or various features of the environment to help circumvent the party's first instinct. That allows the party to experiment with new tactics and, you know, it allows you to keep your combat encounters fresh. I think all you would have to do in this scenario is just make sure the Bahir has a clear escape to be able to outrun the rest of the party. As long as you can get the Bahir in this kind of chase scene, everything should be fine. The the worry as the DM is that, you know, all of your Nova damage dealers are going to yeah, yeah. You know, take 300 points of damage, friend, yes. in the first round. As we do. As long as you can find, and this this is like the art of DMing, right? As long as you find a way to eliminate that first order strategy, the encounters will run themselves a little bit easier and a little bit more entertainingly than otherwise. And this becomes more and more important the farther along in the game you play. When it's level three characters, it's okay to just throw a bugbear at them and let them do their thing. Yeah. When you get to like level 11 where wizards are you know demigods yeah it's wise to set up some ways to eliminate the first thing that the players are going to jump to so in conclusion i i think that the swallow mechanic is not perfect um but it's better than basilisks and i think that having that chase spin on the encounter would be pretty fun yeah. and i think that the mechanics and the lore that we get are very unified and that they're all goading us on for this one kind of chase encounter with the Behir. So, like, I think, you know, pass or fail, I will give the Behir uh, a general pass in that if you use it in this one niche kind of chase encounter, it would be pretty good. If you used it as a straight fight, it would be, you know, decent. Yeah. It's a, it's also a cool supplement monster if you're doing a fight against giants. Yeah, and if you're bringing on giants, you know, throw them on in. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I give the Behir a solid uh, number out of 10. Yeah, I give it star out of squiggly mark. If I had to give it a letter rating, it'd be an S. S. Purse. Which is the sound it makes. I can't remember what that stands for in Devil May Cry. Sick stylish. Yeah, probably. <laughs> You know what also gets a double S? What's that? Subscribing to Nerdsmith.com, where you can find a series of shows much better than ours. <laughs> this week, why not check out Kiari's Curious Crafts, run by a real sweetheart by the name of Anne. She does, like, a lot of D&D uh, curio-making stuff. She does, like, a lot of terrain building and, like, fantasy crafting stuff. It's really cool. Have a look. Check that out. Uh, if you want to listen to more tooth and nail i won't stop you yeah i would uh 
I would consider it heavily. <laughs> Why did you say it like an old wizard? That's what I. That's what I am. That's what I do. Don't shit on my brand. All right. All right. Uh, so listen to old wizard Travis, and <laughs> hello, and <laughs> and listen to more tooth and nail. And uh, until next time, our creature comfort for this one. First, get yourself your standard cup of hot cocoa and get that hot cocoa. Yeah. And then also, um, probably, probably bring some air fresheners for the inside of the Bahir. Oh. <laughs> I can't imagine aeons of carrion and digestive garbage is going to be good for the nostrils, if you, if you know what I mean. Oh, uh, and bring a brush for your hair, because not only are you going to have to brush out the awful gross stuff, it's going to be staticky and frizzy as hell. Yeah. Yeah. So, conditioner, cocoa, air freshener. Have a good day. Yeah.